Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. We're live on day two of the LA Auto Show and day one for new car debuts. My name is James Rea. I am the editor and publisher of theweeklydriver.com and an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group. Today, we have three special guests on our program. Our first guest is Phil Zach. Phil is an exterior designer for Cadillac. Phil and I discuss Cadillac's transition into the sport utility vehicle segment, and we also discussed the breaking news earlier this week of GM's closure of several of its plants, as well as the discontinuation of several cars, including a couple of Cadillacs. Our second guest is Josh McGuckin. Josh is a driver with a bunch of other drivers and team members who competed in the 2017 Baja 1000. Uh, Josh's Beetle, it was on display this morning with maybe 30 or 40 other vintage Beetles as an homage to Volkswagen. 2019 is the last production year of the Beetle. Our third guest is Steve Clancy. Steve is the president of Prestone, and we discuss Prestone's more than 90-year legacy in the automotive world. We hope you enjoy our program. Please feel free to give us your comments, and don't forget to visit my website, www.theweeklydriver.com. Today we're day one of the LA Auto Show, and we're here with uh, Phil Zach, who is the exterior designer for Cadillac. That's correct. And we, I just walked by uh, these beautiful Cadillacs, but today we're going to specifically talk about the... XT4. XT4. Tell me about the car, the iconic brand, um, what's it all about, in, in a general overview of the vehicle, if you could. Okay. Well, when we started the uh, XT4, uh, this was a new opportunity for Cadillac. It's a new vehicle for us in this segment. So we wanted to make sure that we, we kind of kicked the vehicle off and uh, kind of set the right tone, if you will, for kind of the entry younger buyers that were getting into Cadillac. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing, the first thing we did on this vehicle was um, assign really the youngest design team that we have in the studio. Mm-hmm. And part of their assignment in the brief was, all right, we want you to design a Cadillac. Design a Cadillac that you want, that you will buy, mm-hmm. uh, because that is really what the market is for. Uh, so we kind of started the project off maybe a little bit differently than uh, previous. Um, it was really exciting to kind of both on the interior and the exterior side, kind of mm-hmm. get the uh, younger people's feel on kind of what they want and where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the one thing that really came to mind is they all, everyone loves the Escalade, but it's, you know, especially from a price point for some of the youthful coming out, maybe a little bit more than what they can afford. Yes. And a little larger, but mm-hmm. the, the essence, the persona, the stance of that vehicle is something that they immediately captured and tried to bring it down to the X-T4. So when you look at the X-T4 from a proportion standpoint, um, we think it looks fantastic. It has, the, the wheels are planted, mm-hmm. uh, it has kind of muscular fender shapes, uh, the wheelbase has been stretched a little bit, we have some nice upscale 20-inch wheels and tires that really set the overall proportion and give the vehicle a, uh, you know, a, a dynamic sense and a, and a fresh, a fresh um, proportion. I'm old enough to remember, and I'll get this difficult question out of the way first, is that I remember Cadillac as the stigma of it was your grandfather's car, and maybe even your father's car. I'm 63. I know Cadillac has changed its focus, but do you, do you folks find that um, Cadillac still has to overcome any of the traditional large sedan, monster car image that it had for years and years? And if so, does this car do that? Uh, good question. 
what we kind of find with the market right now, a lot of the older personas or memories are, are kind of, they're not there with okay. this younger group that comes through, Yes, which is a positive. So it's an opportunity to fresh start, new direction, you know, what would you like to do? And like I mentioned, that's why we put the younger team on it, so mm -hmm. that we can really start to tap into their, their psyche, their mindset of kind mm -hmm. of what they want. The good news is we do have a lot of uh, positive attributes that the younger uh, generation are kind of uh, aspire to on the Cadillac. Sure. So it was their job to kind of bring it down in the XT4, which we think they've done. You know, when you look at it from, from side view as well, we did a lot with the, the daylight opening, the glass kind of dropped some of the sheet metal details down low to kind of give it a, a sporty feel. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it has kind of the best-in-class interior volume. So we're trying to be smart with the overall size and proportion and design and give our customers a little bit extra space inside is what they had asked for. Why do you think that the public has transitioned in large part from sedans to, the, to SUVs? I mean, I know that they're versatile and they do a lot of things, not only soccer moms, but a bunch of different areas. So from your perspective, why has that happened in the transition from medium and large sedans to, to the SUV segment? Yeah, um, you know, to be honest, that's, that's a global trend. You know, yeah. it's not just something centric to the U.S. Yes. I think when people kind of initially get out of a car into an SUV, you just appreciate the functionality, the mm -hmm. The driving position's a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a lot more versatile. And right now, with advances in suspension and tire technology, they ride and handle fantastic. So all of a sudden, there's all these benefits that you get with an SUV that you may not necessarily you know, get with a car. Okay. Uh, there, there's still going to be cars as far as you know, things that are more dynamic to drive, yes. sports cars. There's still that segment and niche that will stay because it can only... The, the exhilaration you get with those vehicles will stay, but when you get into a standard sedan, the functionality of an SUV seems to overwhelm and, and kind of win people over. Yes. Now, a little bit topical um, and uh, maybe putting you on the spot. Um, there was a big announcement, of course, earlier this week uh, with Cadillac and, and GM on a whole in terms of stopping vehicles and stopping plants. And uh, that's not really why you're here. You're here to promote a new yeah. car at a LA Auto Show, and they look fantastic out front. But can you can you give an opinion about uh, what that means for Cadillac, even though it's still early in the in the process here? Obviously, yeah. I mean, really, for me, our job on the design side is to just do the best vehicles that we can that really connect yes. with the customers. So you know, that's the part that that we take we take care of. Mm -hmm. As far as the business and and how that runs, you know, Mary has her team of executives that are kind of really looking out for the company going forward. So, yes. you know, we've got faith in her direction and decisions and kind of, you know, what's going to be for GM uh, best in the future right? and the, right. the employees of GM. The Cadillac uh, line, do you guys have any numbers? Just a just question came to mind about the age group, if that's changed in terms of the, the buying segments. Has it changed from the average buyer of a Cadillac used to be 58 to now it's 28 or 38? Are there any statistics that you might know about? We do have those. Uh -huh. uh, I don't have them top of mind. I know trending, it is going, the average age is going uh, down from mm -hmm. a buyer standpoint, mm -hmm. which is which is positive. Uh, we're also, obviously, a, a global brand. And then what we sell in the U.S., we also sell the same vehicle in China. And average age for a Cadillac buyer in China is extremely low. A lot of them are new car buyers. You know, we're in the, for the 33-year age. Mm -hmm. Uh, so That's surprising, actually. That's good. 
Uh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're still working on um, getting it lower, but in general, in the U.S., the average age for new car buyer is substantially higher. Okay. From the design cross standpoint... Cross-brands, cross not cross brand. Cadillac, cross-brands. Cross-brands. From the design standpoint, uh, that's your expertise in your area. Um, what else can you tell me about the car, the, the vehicle that you that you like in, in terms of... Um, you know, some vehicles, some SUVs, I've driven a lot of them. They tend to morph into one SUV. I haven't driven the, the Cadillac yet. So what makes it uh, different than uh, all the rest, if you will, if you don't mind a question like that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, what we've done on this, it's a new architecture. Yeah. Um, and you notice, compared to its competition, mm -hmm. we are a little bit wider. Mm -hmm. We are a little bit uh, longer. Mm -hmm. uh, and what that gives us is, obviously I mentioned interior volume, yes. is, is better than our competitive set. Uh, also, when you get to the 20-inch wheels and tires, and the overall suspension, rides and handles fantastic. It's very nimble. Uh, it's, it's fun to drive. It's fun to toss around corners. So from a driving dynamic standpoint, we get the proportions and we get the ride and handling. When you look at the exterior, some of the things that we want to retain on Cadillac is um, you look in night with all tail lamps on our, yes. our, our tail end graphics. You mm -hmm. know. We're continuing to have the vertical, but we're trying to add a little bit of a different twist to the vertical. So you mm -hmm. can see on the headlamps, uh, you'll know, notice any Cadillac at night with that vertical DRL yes. graphic, yes. which is a signature item for us. Mm -hmm. And then especially on the vehicle here, uh, the Escalades, for instance, we've got that tall vertical that runs down the entire mm -hmm. back of the car. Uh, very distinctive, very high tech. And what we've done in the X-T4 is kind of taken that vertical, but kind of turned the bottom. So it's almost... Uh, an L shape with mm -hmm. the emphasis on vertical. So there's some cues like that that we're being consistent on Cadillac so that when our customers or any other customers I see these things in traffic, you know, they know kind of what it is. And it's really a, a nice, fresh, bold look. Okay. Um, Cadillac's been around for a long time. Um, there's other very well-known brands. Um, what is Cadillac overall? What does Cadillac mean in terms of, uh, is it, positioned as a luxury car, a, an, an iconic car, a family car. Well, how do you see Cadillac in, in terms of where it fits into the yeah. into the marketplace? Definitely a luxury brand. Yeah. Uh, so you've seen the renaissance in the last few years of yes. Cadillac. Yes. Uh, just bringing up the uh, uh, quality materials. Everything is improving uh, where we're at. We've done a, a great job on setting a performance uh, mm -hmm. bandwidth as well with Cadillac. Yes. When you look at the V-Series. Uh, outperform a lot of the competition uh, on the track. So there's a, a huge performance benefit that we're learning on those vehicles that kind of work their way down uh, through the rest of the lineup. Uh, so, you know, Cadillac, we've got a variety of vehicles for family, for the sports enthusiasts, yes. but all on the luxury premium segment. That's great. Well, I want to thank Phil Zach for being our guest today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. It's been Pleasure to meet you and to learn about the new vehicle. And uh, I have to go see it now. I feel a little bit, I haven't really done <laughs> my homework, to, yeah. but, I, but I can't wait to go take a look. And, and uh, thank you again for being our guest. Day one, officially, of the LA Auto Show for the media. And today, a big surprise in the automobility tent, Beatles and Breakfast. And we're here with Josh McGuckin, who, with his team, competed in the 2017 Baja 1000, and I'm looking at their Volkswagen, which is a 1970 Beetle, Class 11. I'm not quite sure what that is, but Josh, you're going to tell us what that's all about. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, Class 11 is a 
the most stock you can race in Baja. Okay. So it's basically a stock Volkswagen Beetle. Obviously, it looks less than stock. It doesn't yes. have windows, things like that. Yes, of course. It's running the stock beam. It's running the stock trailing arms. It's running the stock front suspension mounting locations. Stock displacement engine. Yes. Stock transmission. And all of those things are, are basically operating as they were originally. Um, you know, everything that can be done, you know, like cage and all that stuff to make it more durable and safer is done. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's basically as limited as can be. About six and a half inches of travel in the front and nine, I think, in the back. Okay. So now, what what made you decide, uh, a longtime Volkswagen enthusiast, race car guy, how did it come about that you did the Baja 1000 and how did it go? I uh, have a, a unique group of friends that likes <laughs> torture. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. So, There's my headline. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, we uh, we uh, look for projects that make it so that we really have like a lofty goal. And finishing the Baja 1000 in the most limited class seemed like the most lofty of goals. Yes. And so basically, uh, between me as more of a race car guy and several of the guys as real, just like dedicated Volkswagen guys, we've like put together like a really cool team of people that all had the same goal of just getting there, you know, like, uh -huh. let's get this thing and get it across the line. And that's what we did in 2017. We were able to get the car across the line, 58 hours, uh, finish line closed at 48 hours, so we were a little outside of the timeline, but... Yeah, were you guys we drinking beer in a pub somewhere, or what were you doing? We not? were not. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. so uh, what is that experience like, 58 hours, that's two days plus? Um, what does that encompass, if you can put it in sort of, sort of general terms, I guess? Well, so the interesting thing about Baja is it takes a village to get there, right? Right, so right, right. We had 26 people. Oh, my gosh. We had uh, uh, seven vehicles total, and uh, you have to coordinate all of that stuff to make it happen. We ran it before in 2014, and we learned a lot of lessons from that. Mm -hmm. And we were able to kind of put together a really interesting logistics plan that really made it so that all of this stuff was possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also made it so people were capable of going that long. Gotcha. 58 hours. You can't just be running the whole no, time. So no, you no. have to have a plan in place so that somebody's resting while somebody's act, like acting. Yes, yes. And so by the time you're done, everybody's fully cooked. <laughs> but yeah. we were able to get across the line. And once you get past this point, it was probably about mile like 800 for us. Yes. You like that energy comes back around. Gotcha. Again, gotcha. And you're like, I am so cooked, but man, if let's this go, doesn't cross go. <laughs> the line, I don't know what I'll do with myself. So. Now, if, if the cutoff was 48 hours and you guys took 10 hours longer than that, were you on your own? Did they shut down? Is there some sort of a extravagant finish line area and if you cross with nobody there other than your team? Yeah, so believe it or not, there was like one or two people remaining when we crossed the line. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, the lights were all off, and when we got there, when our, our team got there, they uh, basically said, hey, guess uh, can you turn the lights back on? And so they, <laughs> they turned the lights back on, and then we were able to cross the line. And then uh, another car crossed the line a little bit after us, too, and so was, the lights were on for those guys as well. So Yes. Well, <clears throat> here we are in a hall full of... Yeah, very beautiful vintage VWs, and your car stands out because it's the only one that I've noticed so far that's that's like this. Yeah. So how did the car get here, and what were the logistics? Uh, and you guys are from Denver area. Yep. So how did that all come about? Did you did you transport it here? You didn't drive it here, or did you? So drive it here? we uh, we trailered it here. Trailered it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, we uh, we pulled the thing together uh, last week. So oh, we uh, so we've been working on this car since the race. This has been kind of a slow year for us. We yes. generally race Baja every other year. But the, uh, 
Um, we've been working on all the function stuff. You know, yes. Every time you come back from the race, you learn a lot. So then you yes. go through and rework the car. Now we're going to get to the part where we start doing the cosmetics again. So right now you can see all the brush and bruises yes. and stuff like that. It's still beautiful. Yeah. In its own way. Yeah. 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 So, um, what kind of value would a car like this have? Man, you know... I can tell you that we have put in so many more dollars than it's probably worth. <laughs> You're too I, honest, man. You are too honest. <laughs> I truly don't know what it's actually worth. And so when does the Baja 1000 occur? The Baja 1000 uh, is always in November. Oh, it's always right in November. Okay. Thanksgiving in November. Okay, it's so Ensenada. No, it's... Uh, Tell me the, the, from where to where. So they do two versions of the Baja 1000. Yes. One is considered the Peninsula Run. Okay. That goes from Ensenada to La Paz. Okay. And then other years they do a loop run, and that's Ensenada to Ensenada. And so it does a loop, and it generally stays in, in Baja Norte. So. I see. So did anything um, in the middle of the night, did a, a, a burrow cross the headlights? Was there, was there <laughs> any, anything that, that came that, that was out of the ordinary that you guys would have no idea that would possibly occur in a 1,000 miles of... Everything was out of the ordinary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, this car was up to you see the little mini windshield. So yes. there was there was water flowing through oh that at one point on a river crossing. Yes. There was uh, plenty of cows and stuff like that that you come across. Um, we've got towed out um, of something by a local with like this car that he had at some point because <laughs> basically like there was another truck that was stuck across the trail, we got stuck in silt, and then this guy pulled us through some shipyard. And yeah. We, we don't know where it comes from, and yeah, it's a, uh, it's every time you get on there, you come away and you're like, I have a million stories. I'm going to remember about a quarter of them. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, those ones you just mentioned are, are pretty damn good. So. <laughs> so, what does it take now? Between we're in uh, late November, mm-hmm. and what does it take? What will you guys do um, between now and, and, and the next time you try it? Is there a lot to do? Yeah. Huh? So. We will test this car repeatedly, probably do some races this year, and just hammer on it and probably literally break it every time we go run it gotcha. in order to kind of refine all of the little things that we've changed so that they won't break during the race. Uh, we do plan to do a full like uh, rewire of some of our critical systems. Yes. And then we have, I think, probably the biggest project for all of this stuff it comes down to logistics planning. Yes. So we spend literally like eight to ten months planning logistics wow and uh making sure that you have everything for all of those people to go yes uh where they stay how the race works making sure that like entries are due on time and all of those pieces making reservations for places to stay all of it takes so much time and we're fortunate to have uh gino over here that does a lot of that stuff for us gotcha now, uh, do you have, uh, this is a real world, but in your other real world, what do you do if you do something else? <laughs> I do. I, uh, I work for Gates Corporation, and so I'm a branding engineer there, and I manage a team of uh, product specialists. So. Oh, great. Well, thank you for being our guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. I'll give you my card when we're done, and I'll be in touch. So thank, thank you very much. much. The Weekly Driver Podcast gets support from AmericanMuscle.com, your late model Mustang and F-150 authority bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade. No one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today. We're at day one of the LA Auto Show, and we are here with Stephen Clancy, president of Prestone. They have their own beautiful area here in the bottom of the South Hall today. So welcome to our program. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, James. You have a, you're the president of a very iconic company, so why don't we start with 
um, that. The how long have you guys been around, and, and what's going on today with your with your booth here at the LA Auto Show? Yeah, so uh, Prestone actually has been around for uh, just a little over 91 years. We mm-hmm. celebrated our 90th anniversary mm-hmm. uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally part of the Union Carbide Company, okay. and prior to 91 years ago. Uh, most cooling systems in automobiles were open systems, and they typically used either water or um, or alcohol in the cooling system. Mm-hmm. And the problem with alcohol is it tended to boil off fairly easily in the cooling system, but it was also flammable, and so those were not good qualities. And Union Carbide had this chemical that they had just helped develop called ethylene glycol that they then um, decided to use, start using as a, as a heat transfer fluid, as a coolant. Mm-hmm in the automotive industry, and that was how Prestone was launched. It was called the EverReady Prestone uh, brand way okay. back then, mm-hmm. and EverReady battery was actually, actually also one of the uh, Union Carbide uh, brands way back in the day. So here at the LA Auto Show, you're debuting a new product or two or three, maybe? And um, so what's what, what's up with the new stuff that you have today? Yeah, we've uh, we've got a, a few new things yes. here. One of the things that we, it's not new new, but it's the, the thing that we like to talk about every time we, we talk about our, our mm-hmm. product portfolio is um, that. <laughs> just bring this over here. It's um, Is our flagship product called the Prestone with core guard. Mm-hmm. And um, what this is is an automotive antifreeze that works in any light-duty vehicle. So okay. um, it's um, uh, the, the, the best-performing product on the marketplace. Um, what it's best-performing at is um, preventing debilitating corrosion that can sometimes occur mm-hmm. in your cooling system from the interaction of the metals and the fluids. Okay. Um, all antifreeze does the does essentially the same thing, which is to help um, regulate the temperature of your vehicle. But because it's a liquid and it comes in contact with the metal, liquid and metal can be corrosive. And so all antifreeze has a secret sauce in there to help prevent that corrosion. Our core guard, uh, proprietary and patented formula, is the best on the planet. We even say on the label, five times better than the, than the leading branded uh, competition at, um, at preventing cavitation corrosion. I see that, uh, obviously this is audio, but in visually you have this beautiful car here that has your uh, personalized license plate. So um, what is this vehicle? Is it a... Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually it's a 1972 Daytomasa Pantera. Of course it is. I should have and, known that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it, it does have a, 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 a body style similar to a Corvette, so yes. from a distance it does, does sort of look like that. It's uh, actually been customized uh, by the Ring Brothers, who are one of our, uh, uh, our, par- uh, our partners. Um, they helped us build um, uh, a custom car this year as well that we use for promotional purposes. So we, we used the... Uh, um, our, our Pantera, and then also the, uh, the 72 Javelin that they helped us build this year. In, in the 91 years, or since you've been involved with the company, which of course isn't 91 years, uh, how, how has it changed with, um, if it has, with uh, new technology, different kinds of engines, uh, all, all different, the, the um, environmental concerns? Yeah. So cover some of those areas if, if there have been major changes yeah, in, your, no, in your products. There have been, actually, and it's a great question, James, and it, it's, um, it's a question that the changes in automobiles that continue uh, to happen continue to stress the cooling systems of the car. So if mm-hmm. you think about cars in the 1970s that had, think about a V8 engine, which then became a V6 engine, which then became a, a four-cylinder engine, mm-hmm. and that big V8 had a huge... 
um, steel block, and now we have a lot more aluminum engines and lighter metals, but we also have faster revving engines, mm -hmm. engines with uh, turbochargers in them that generate heat. And so all of those different sources and changing sources of heat, but changing sources of metals and plastic polymers inside the, the, the cooling system as well, put different stresses on the antifreeze cooling. Um, what Prestone focuses on, because we are a, a, a very um, R&D-focused company, we have uh, a lab of mad scientists in Danbury, Connecticut. <laughs> Aren't all they're, scientists mad? I think that yeah. kind of goes hand in hand. They're, they're mad in a good way. <laughs> yeah, 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 mad in a good yeah, way. Yeah. Mad in a good way, and I say that, that lovingly because <laughs> sure. they, help us, they help keep us on the cutting edge of technology. Mm -hmm. Most antifreeze that's in the marketplace today, the design of it is 20 years old. Uh, Prestone is one of the... Uh, one of the, the, the leaders in cooling system technology. Mm -hmm. um, this flagship core guard, guard product that we were just talking about um, that's five times better at helping stop cavitation corrosion. It's a new formula, a new patented formula that we, we launched in 2014. Okay. Um, and again, focused on the needs of cars to, from today as opposed to the needs that cars had 20 or 30 years ago. I'm an auto reviewer, uh, and I'm, but I'm right to a lay audience. In the podcast, we have had different experts on. If you're the average person that has a Toyota pickup truck or a, a Toyota Camry or a, a Honda Accord, what should you know about antifreeze? Let's, let's bring it down just to the average person. Why do, why do they need antifreeze? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> and um, it's also, you know, we, we call the product antifreeze in North yeah, America, right. but, but really what it is, it's an antifreeze and a coolant. And, a coolant. and its okay. primary function is it helps regulate the temperature of your vehicle. Okay. And if you think about That's it, layperson's terms. Yeah, I like exactly. it. I can understand that. And it's think good. about it this way. Any car that you've ever sat in, mm -hmm. when you look at the dashboard, there's always a temperature gauge. You bet. There isn't there. Mm -hmm. What that temperature gauge is telling you is, is your vehicle in the correct operating temperature? Vehicles generate a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. The cooling system in the vehicle is designed to circulate a fluid to go take that, the fluid takes that heat away from the hot spots, mm -hmm. sends the fluid to the radiator, and the radiator dissipates that heat to mm -hmm. the atmosphere. Well, um, in doing that, uh, if the cooling system is not working properly, you're gonna get localized hot spots, your engine is gonna run too hot, uh, bad things starts to happen mm -hmm. when metals get too hot. Uh, they can deform if they get really hot. But also your oil can start to break down. It loses viscosity when it gets hot. And when your oil loses viscosity, the parts that rub together mm -hmm. start to wear more. And so your engine is going to wear out faster if you don't maintain it properly, including having the appropriate coolant in there to help make sure that your engine is operating at the proper time. Thank you for that great explanation. And isn't viscosity like maybe the best word ever? It is. It's <laughs> ever one of my invented. favorite words. Vesco <laughs> can, whatever it means, yeah. it's great. You know, it just sounds wonderful. It's almost <laughs> as good as lubricity. <laughs> lubricity. <laughs> That's right. Lubricity. So uh, anything else that you would like? I know that you guys you guys sponsor. Do you, are you still in the sponsoring sponsorship world in terms of race car driving or other avenues? Do you sponsor athletes? I, I have lost track of what you guys do in the in the corporate 
or other kinds of sponsorship world if you do? Yeah, we don't do, um, we, we, we actually don't do any sort of um, motorsports sponsorship a- a- anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do do, and that's what I mentioned, our, our partnership with yes. Ring Brothers before, is, um, is we're trying to approach automotive enthusiasts mm-hmm. um, through uh, those sort of sponsorship arrangements with custom car builders like the Ring Brothers, and that's why we, we had them build sure. uh, uh, our Javelin for us this year, which we unveiled at SEMA, mm-hmm. and uh, which has been getting, uh, sorry, it was unveiled at SEMA a year ago, mm-hmm. um, and it's also why we have the, uh, the Pantera. We take them around to car shows. Uh, it allows us to engage with, uh, with consumers one-on-one um, through a fun uh, vehicle, if you yes, will. Yes, yes, sure. <laughs> and, uh, and also to help, uh, help car enthusiasts uh, understand our product and our message and help communicate that to the broader, broader uh, automotive consumer. Perfect. I want to thank uh, Stephen Clancy for being the guest, our guest today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. I, I learned a lot in seven or eight minutes. I didn't right. know any of it. So I very much appreciate your time, and, and thanks for being our guest. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate the opportunity. The Weekly Driver Podcast receives support from americantrucks.com, your late model Silverado, Sierra, Ram, and F-150 online aftermarket retailer, bringing you all of the hottest parts from accessories to lift kits, from wheels to tires and winches. AmericanTrucks.com has the knowledge and know-how to make your wildest dreams come to reality. 